0: For me, fashion is a verb, so it's too fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. We're back. Have you missed me? Or perhaps you're new to Wardrobe Crisis. To our existing listeners, thank you for coming back for Series 4. And to our new ones, a very big welcome. Now, 2020... Here in Australia, where I live, began in a really confronting and difficult way with the terrible bushfires. And I'm sure that you've watched that story unfold and read the horrendous stats with millions of acres burned and just unfathomable, you know, the stuff about animals. We've lost maybe one billion animals. You can't even imagine what that means. I will share some links if you want to read more around this subject. But I just wanted to mention it here and to say that I think it reminds us that we need to take action. We need more awareness, more education, more collaboration on climate and on the environment in general and everyone has their part to play. For me it's been about renewing my commitment to doing this work, doing what I can do which is telling these stories about sustainability. Starting with Amber Valletta who is the supermodel, activist and all-round awesome human that I think is really leading the way when it comes to models using their platform in sustainable fashion to talk about the stuff that matters. Since we recorded, Amber has joined Jane Fonda's Fire Drill Fridays movement. She even got herself arrested. So you might have seen Amber on the news. You've certainly seen her in the news agent's She's done so many Vogue covers, I have lost count. In the 90s, she was in all the big fashion campaigns and she co-hosted her own show on MTV. In the 2000s, she went to Hollywood. Fun fact, she was in Hitch with Will Smith. Do you remember that? But at the end of the day, what really matters? This candid interview isn't about fame and fortune and fashion fabulousness. It's about hopes and fears and dreams and it's about self-care, care for nature and for life on Earth, it's about our responsibilities to each other and to the planet. So let's get to it. Amber, welcome to the Wardrobe Crisis podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to be interviewing you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Claire. I want to just start by talking about Versace because it was yesterday. I mean, the internet was broken again by Versace. What happened?
1: Well, last night was the Versace Spring Summer 2020 show and Donatella surprised us all, actually. Did you not know? I didn't know until like we signed an NDA at the show. And even then they didn't tell us who. But I kind of started putting pieces together. But I closed the show and then instead of a normal finale, J-Lo came out in the new version of the jungle dress. Yeah, but be- just before
0: that. There was that voiceover that was Googled now showing me the real jungle dress because the yes. prints had been through other looks before.
1: Right. So the first time was, I guess, 2000 when I wore it. And that was the first time the jungle print had ever been seen. And then it just kept coming out as this reiteration of itself. And JLo wearing it, obviously. And I think one of the Baby Spice and a bunch of, you know. Right. Donatella even wore it. And that dress, when J. Lo wore it the first time, broke the internet. I guess that's why Google created Google search images.
0: I mean, phenomenal. That so I don't know grammy. about yesterday yeah. if she broke the internet
1: again, but she definitely did 20 years ago, which is kind of amazing and part of history for actually everybody because of the, what it means. Google images means a lot. For people. Absolutely.
0: Um,
1: but at the same time, it would be really cool if the next iteration of that dress, when we're talking about the jungle and environment and things like that, the next iteration of that dress is made sustainably and perhaps even biodegrades quickly. Um, that if we could use the power of what happened yesterday with just that moment in fashion, if we could use that within our industry to make a giant shift, that would just be like, so exciting.
0: Well that's what I was thinking I mean the added layer of meaning that comes from you modeled that original dress which was well September 1999 as when you first it right. on the runway but then you're in that iconic ad so spring 2000. Yes. But you know fast forward 20 years yeah. and we've got the context of the Amazon on fire. Yes. Which I know you've shared widely about on Instagram yes. I know you're worried about as we all and are. And the
1: climate strike was yesterday same day as the jungle dress which is kind of weird and ironic you know you have the like you said,
0: the Amazon's on fire and the jungle dress and, you know, now where we, where are we today? Exactly. I mean, before we get on to the environment, I'd just like to talk more about Versace because we can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it well, is it is fabulous. It is fabulous. Last night you modeled a black dress that reminded me a bit of Liz Hurley's black dress with the sequins, although it wasn't the same, but you did wear that original dress in InStyle recently. Yes, the safety pin dress. Yeah. But the dress
1: that I wore last
0: night, I didn't realize had actually
1: already been worn before. Like it was an iteration of a dress Karen Mulder wore I don't even know what year. Like in sometime in the early nineties or mid nineties. And then Kim Kardashian had it recently. And then I guess they
0: made another iteration of it for my finale last night. So well, the next logical progression would be that it was the same dress exactly, as opposed to Exactly, which would be pretty amazing. But when did you first start to work with them? Was it Gianni that you first modeled for? Yeah,
1: it was. And I was 18. And it would have been the season,
0: I think, right after the safety pin dress. What's it like to work with Donatella? And I asked that with a green lens because in 2018, she was a recipient of an award at the Green Carpet Awards. Mm-hmm. I wondered if you ever chatted with her about all things eco I haven't actually, um and I would like to But I mean when you, you started out when you're talking about modeling for Gianni all those years ago, yeah. I mean these were not conversations we were having in fashion. No.
1: But we were not also we also didn't have fast fashion and we didn't have all these this is it's a never ending season. It never stops. So you have fall, winter shows, then you have spring summer shows, and in between you have all these cruise shows and pre season collections and then couture it's like it's too much, and then you have fast fashion on top of it, and then licensing, and, you ever and seen... then all the mom-and-pop kind of places that are creating fashion abroad. So it's hard to get a grasp on it, and, and you just didn't have that amount of stuff being made when I first started.
0: I mean, even when I think back to when I was first absorbed by fashion, not as a professional thing, but just as a kid who wanted to buy clothes, we didn't have those stores, those fast fashion churn stores.
1: No. I mean in some ways what has happened is an amazing thing. We've democratized the ability to be stylish and the question is what does that mean and what does it cost and at what cost? So it's like everyone should be able to creatively express themselves in whatever way that means, but at what cost? So it's kind of like how can you can't I don't want to bash anyone for wanting to express themselves but there's definitely a big discrepancy on what we need and what we
0: want. But also what we can support. And what we can support, absolutely. What the environment can support. Absolutely. absolutely. And I know you've thought about this long and hard because when I first figured out that Amber Valletta was interested in sustainability, it was through Master in Muse. Mm-hmm. Tell us what that was. So I started Master in Muse
1: in 2013 and it was after kind of... I wanted to have some sort of control and some sort of personal stake in what I was doing in my my business. And I felt like I, I couldn't find that necessarily in acting in the same way that I felt I could make an impact in fashion. And I really started to research and see what was happening in fashion because I knew there was stuff that was going on. You can, you can just see it from all the waste. And so... I took about, it sounds crazy, but I took at least a year and a half to come up with the business, but starting from really something very simple, which was my core values. And once I had that, that was kind of the point of reference for every decision I made. So what were they? Well, obviously innovation, creativity, integrity, collaboration, and responsibility.
0: And so basically you were bringing together responsible and sustainable ethical brands under yes. a kind of
1: it was an online store where we were promoting other people's work designers' work and the idea was to show that responsibly made fashion could be stylish
0: except that at the time that was very ahead of the game no one was doing it then right
1: No when we when I started Master and Muse we researched and we found you know a couple of things but no, nobody was really doing something stylish and we also just couldn't find that many brands that, where the fit was good. And so it was difficult task, but we found enough that we were able to kind of build. And each year, we increased our inventory. So we were ahead, but at the same time, I feel like, I feel like we proved a point. And now, even though I took a step back from actually selling clothes and, and accessories with Master and Muse... There will be a new iteration of the business. I just don't know exactly what it's going to look like.
0: But it's interesting now that we look around and all the big players like net a like Matches, Take Your Pick, they're now introducing the sustainable shop within shops or verticals, aren't they? Five years later. <laughs> and it's sad because we talk to a lot of these people, you know, but that's okay. It's good to be ahead of the game, but it's always easier if you're actually on the wave. <laughs> yes. I think about this myself all the time. Right now, I'm on a wave, which is quite nice because being ahead or behind sucks because no yeah. one's listening. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think
1: people were listening, and that's why we're here. You sure. know, we're, we're having this conversation in fashion more and more about sustainability, and it's kind of on the tip of a lot of people's tongues, and it wasn't before. So I do think it's changed, and
0: I think it's changing, and I think it's going to change a lot in the next few years. Well, we started off talking about Versace because Versace. I want to just touch on another campaign that you did, because I think many listeners will have really taken notice of this one, which was Stella McCartney for Winter 19. Mm -hmm. You were in this extraordinary series of pictures, but also film and Instagram activation, but with activists from Extinction Rebellion and with Jane Goodall, who read out a poem by Jonathan Safran Foer. We might share a little snippet of that, but it's very
1: moving. So powerful. Her voice and his words were just—I was shocked. I didn't know they were going to do that. I had no idea. I mean, I knew we were shooting a video, obviously, but I had no idea the, that Jane's voice was going to be reading this incredible.
0: What people piece. are bringing this stuff on you, Amber? <laughs> didn't, uh, know didn't know Jay. Didn't know La was going to rock up in the Versace runway. Didn't I mean. They?
1: <laughs> You know, sometimes you're part of things and you have no idea that it's going to be that powerful. You I didn't mean, know these
0: questions before you sat on the nope. sofa? Nope.
1: <laughs> nope. I just trusted you.
0: But in that ad, you've got the world painted on your face. Mm,
1: yeah, that was a really powerful moment. To be able to put the face of the planet on a face. It's crazy. It was crazy. It was... And it looked so cool. It was so fun to sit and do it. And the three hours that it took to put it on my face was well worth it.
0: But I mention it because I think the shareability of that image is something very profound. And when we look at how fashion might be mobilized to try to get a sort of act on behalf Mm. of the planet, the visual is very strong, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's we need those visuals. Visual
1: images have such power. I mean, that's why fashion is what it is partially, right? Because people look at magazines and they get inspired and they get moved and they go on a fantasy trip. But we also have an obligation in our industry to tell the truth and to reflect what is happening in the world, including diversity and inclusiveness and what's happening in the environment. And I think that's why that campaign with Stella was is so powerful, because it is a reflection of, one, what she is doing to help save the planet, but also what the industry needs to do. And what people need to see to be inspired by, to make changes in their own life. So I'm incredibly honored to be part of that campaign
0: I loved it because I love everything that Stella does and I think she's an actual hero not everyone Completely. loved it and I raised that because I think it's an interesting really? talking point yeah so there was that was really shrill of me but really <laughs> <laughs> well there was a story in American Vogue written by a journalist called Emily Farah she did love it but she began the story with a couple of negative comments from Instagram to put it in context and they from, were from people from Stella's Instagram yeah where people had commented okay you're I'm always curious. gonna get some haters on this stuff. Uh, people always. love to hate so the ones that she picked out were hypocrisy at its finest and a confusing message. But that thing about hypocrisy, I get it sometimes. Mm-hmm. I was doing a talk the other day at university. Yours, there's always one. Mm-hmm. There's always someone when there's a you know, Q&A at the end. And she put her hand up and said, not that I want to cause offence. I was like, uh-huh, but you do because you just said that. Right. That's, the, that's But aren't a, you a hypocrite? That's what she said. And her argument and why, was, what was her well, argument? you work for a commercial fashion magazine. You work for Vogue. How can you be talking about consumption, for example? What do you think about that and do you hear that? I mean, I I feel like it's a charge often laid at people talking about conscious consumerism or using fashion to talk about the environment or social issues even. It's a really big question. And it's what
1: I was telling you earlier, what I feel is 2020 is going to be a shift for me. It's very daunting to know the facts that we know about climate crisis And go to work and try and sell people stuff that they don't need necessarily. And to not be heartbroken that somehow what I'm doing is contributing to the problem. And yet, also what I love is at risk. The planet, my family, my life. But also my creative outlet. I love fashion. I love designers. I love photographers. I love models. I love hair and makeup. I love the whole thing. I love the jungle dress. I, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot and I've been thinking, do I need to retire? Do I need to make some major statement to the industry, like an op ed or something and say, listen, guys, this is, you know, I've been really grappling. I've been really grappling with it. I've been in a lot of contemplation about it this year. I also have to provide for my family, so I'm, I'm not at the luxury of just like completely quitting work. But then I'm like, well, how much do I need? So I am really trying to, I think in the next few months, plot out how I can communicate this shift that I need to make and go to work, but make major strides in the industry and in trying to get people to change. And be a little louder and not be so scared of the haters or losing money or people being annoyed. They think you're on a soapbox or whatever it is.
0: I'm so glad that you articulated that. I think lots of those things quite frequently. Often when I walk down a high street and see all the stuff, most often when I'm in an airport feeling guilty about my flight shame... Mm-hmm. And then seeing all the stuff in the airport, so much stuff to buy that you don't need it all on a whim because you're bored and you've got twenty minutes.
1: I think there's a lot of big these are big questions, right? It's like you know what void am I trying to fill? Where's my consciousness? Can I be in the moment? Can I get off my gadget? You know what am I running from? Why I know climate crisis is in front of me, and why am I not out in the streets screaming like a crazy person? Why aren't people listening? You know, I think these are. It's all happening, obviously for a reason, but I also think that there's a. As much as there's this heaviness and this these big existential questions, there's also another part that we have to be able to balance which is like, it's a compassionate side. It's the yin and the yang. It's like, yes, we've done a lot of bad, but we've also have the potential for a lot of good. So what are we doing? What can we highlight? What can we talk about? How can we get people out of the perfectionistic paralysis that keeps everybody, especially these big companies and big brands or people, from even saying that they're trying to do something. There's so many brands or companies that are doing things, but we don't know because they won't come out and say it publicly. Yeah, they'll put it in their like social responsibility report online if you look for it. But even then, it doesn't give you a lot of detail. But
0: it's the culture of calling out
1: that, it is. that which isn't
0: perfect. So, I mean, that the Instagram comments I mentioned, but also if you think about, I mean, one example, which is a thorny one is Burberry with the destroying of the unsold stock. Obviously, that created a mass press hoo-ha, and everyone was shocked and appalled, and rightly. However, they admitted that in their report. It wasn't an expose. It was part of their reporting. Most brands don't do that. Yeah. Because that's what happens, or can happen when you yeah. do that. I mean, I think it's a, it's such a difficult thing, because, for example, as a journalist, it's our job to call out when brands are greenwashing, or giving misinformation, or suggesting something that isn't quite right. But at the same time, we do need to kind of engender an atmosphere where people do feel that they can admit to not being the Perfect. world's greatest. Yeah, yeah. Because it also does impact on us as individuals, doesn't it? It totally does. I and mean, the same feelings of fear yeah, of stepping out of, and speaking out. It's like in any, you know, it's like in a
1: relationship. If you don't provide safety and trust, then people can't be authentic and come to the table and say, I've made a mistake. I'm hurting you or I'm hurting myself. And I think that's the, we have to look at that on a bigger level as a human race. It's like we have to be able to say that we're not doing something perfectly. Even corporations have to make reparations. Nations have to make reparations. I think this is one of the biggest, well, this is the biggest crisis that we face. This is, the climate crisis is the, there's nothing else, right? And I think it's drawing us all closer to the core of who we are and what do we want the world to be, where, ultimately.
0: Where did this come from in you? You mentioned that, obviously, in the run-up to founding Master and Muse, you started to question what you could do and look for purpose in terms of your fashion career. But where did it all come from? Were you an eco-kid? No, I've always been.
1: I mean, I'm from Oklahoma and I grew up in nature, so I don't know anything else besides, like, you know, being in the natural world, like that's what we did every day. You know, the internet didn't exist. We didn't play, you know, games on our phones. We didn't have
0: phones. So, do you have fond memories of nature? As oh a my kid? God! Like All of, of my things? best
1: memories are in nature. My grandparents had a farm, and we were there every weekend. Me and my cousins, and I had a bunch of cousins, and we ran around with the animals and built forts. And my grandparents' hayloft—they had two huge old barns—and We played at the creek and swung on vines and caught crawdads and ran from snakes. And it was very like Huck Finn (laughs) sort of thing. And I just grew up loving nature and knowing that it was, feeling it was a safe place to be. And then I saw my mom when I was little, gosh, from the time I was probably like five, I think, about five or six, I saw her work for several years protesting a nuclear power plant being built on Native American land. And her and this group of of activists stopped it from being built.
0: Oh, it was successful? Yeah, they were successful. They They were
1: arrested multiple times. I remember my mom getting arrested and being terrified because I didn't know what that meant. and I was with my grandparents. And we protested with them. I remember being a little kid and carrying around a sign and marching around the power company downtown screaming (laughs) there's
0: something very powerful about being present at a win and we've talked about this before on this podcast but activism obviously has to be a long game and lots of it can feel like you're not winning but when you do witness or be part of an action that actually is successful Mm -hmm. it gives you a whole world of possibilities about what else you could achieve doesn't it it does even if it's just as a kid and you see it i think it does
1: i must have known that they stopped it but i didn't remember that until i got older and i asked my mom and she told me more information about the whole story but i just my mom always instilled in me to to be an active participant in the world and to be a voice for those who need help and to help those people in need and so maybe because of that and i i don't know i just always had this belief that i needed to to be better and do better no matter what and I don't, I don't, like hit the mark very often, but I don't think I'd be able to sit idle either and see what's going on. So now there's a bigger voice calling me to go a little deeper than what I have been doing because I think I've been playing it a bit
0: safe. Let's talk about modeling because when we scattered, you were young, like 15, 17? Mm-hmm, 15. Now, obviously, at a very young age, mm-hmm. you're not thinking too much about protecting the environment.
1: I mean, Life. we didn't even know though back then. We didn't know that there was... There wasn't really a big problem yet. I mean, the first time you scientists. start hearing about it is a bit later, actually, and it was the ozone. Remember?
0: Oh, well, I do, because Remember? we've still got a great hole in Australia. Yeah,
1: that was the first time we started hearing anything, really. And then I think the next time I really started oh, hearing... acid rain. Acid rain. And then pollution, you know, just like you would hear about it, Smog. And then it was Al Gore. Really, it was the first time I heard any big public figure talk about what we were really up to and that there was climate change, possibly. He was calling it global warming, right? That was the first big term, global warming.
0: And that was 2007, and I think that at that time there was a broad wake-up call. I mean, that was a time when everyone thought things would change, but I think 10 years later, it didn't change.
1: Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with people that are in power. And that doesn't mean just governments. That means people who are holding corporately all the power, <laughs> the but, money.
0: But what, at what point for you personally then did it become something that you used as part of your definition of the work that you do? Because I think of you now as, for example, I mean, I could rattle off a million things, being on the cover of Italian Vogue's March 2019 issue where it says the cover line is just one world, or presenting for several years the Copenhagen Fashion Summit, generally speaking about the environment being in the Stella campaign being the go-to model for some of this stuff and of course there's more and more model activists joining this movement and we need many of us to do it but mm-hmm. i do think of you as kind of like a bit of a pin-up poster person for model <laughs> activism when when did it start
1: i wasn't necessarily working on the environmental activism in my early years of modeling but i was doing other philanthropy so i guess the environmental stuff really changed when I had my son and that was 19 years ago and I joined the NRDC in LA and that's the Natural Resources Defense Council and when I joined them became part of their leadership board um, it kind of really changed my perspective and I saw that obviously it was a much bigger issue than than just fossil fuels or um, that fashion was also involved in this and that's kind of what started you know my uh, passion and and activism in the environmental world is when I started working with the NRDC.
0: Where'd you get your information from?
1: Um, Everything from I read articles in business of fashion I've read books one of my favorite actually is Cradle to Cradle
0: Oh, it's so good. Well, I will refer listeners to the episode in Series 2 with William McDonough, the co-founder of Cradle to Cradle. He's a legend. He's amazing. I learned so much from him. That book actually really influenced me
1: more than probably anything I've read. And then The Pulse Report by the Copenhagen Fashion Summit. Recently, I haven't read any books about the environment. I've just been reading for pure pleasure and entertainment, and currently I'm reading The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt.
0: That is the most brilliant book. I could not put it down. What, do you love it? <laughs> I do love it. It's really good. And
1: yeah, I mean, I don't know where it's going. I don't know where it's going at all. I'm like just in like
0: the beginning, like maybe six chapters, so. But there is this thing where when you are and trying to relax, putting your head into a serious science book about climate change is not that appealing.
1: Well, the thing is, is you can't be of service to the world if you aren't giving to yourself. This is some maybe food for thought for your listeners. I can't be of service to the world if I'm not feeding myself. And if I'm constantly reading Doom and Gloom or even just facts, science facts or um, you know, anything that I'm curious about with the environment or fashion sustainability, it can be dry or whatever, more educational. If I'm not pausing on that and giving myself time to just be taken away on a fantasy, like The Jungle Dress, or a great book like The Goldfinch. I can't give back to people and the planet. I've got to feed myself.
0: There's this whole thing around self-care, isn't there? Which is a phrase we didn't used to use, but I think there's something very... Everyone's always talking about it because we need to take care of ourselves. We do. You have to. You have to give back to yourself or you can't give to anybody
1: else. And I'm really ready. I've launched my son. He's now in college and... I've worked a lot on my own health and well-being in the last year or two. And I'm ready really to dive deeper in 2020 in a more service-oriented part of my life. Because
0: now I don't, I'm not someone's caretaker as much. Is there something about the getting of wisdom that happens when you get in your 40s? Oh, definitely. Don't you think so? I honestly, I've been thinking about this because I often surround myself with young women purely because... Maybe I'm talking to a lot of students, but also in fashion, you often have young women around you. And I always think, I'm old. I say it a joke, you know, I'm a dinosaur. I'm the dinosaur in this room. But actually, it's much, much better. I much prefer being in my 40s than I did with the insecurities I used to have when I was in my 20s. Or just trying to prove something or not having, I don't know. You get to a point when you pass 40 where you don't have anything to prove. I agree
1: with you. And I also think mortality becomes really kind of in your face and it's like what do I want my life to look like for the next 40 years and I don't know I think in your 40s you stop being so selfish and then at the same time you get more selfish in a
0: really healthy way it's like you become selfless but then it's more loving of oneself. But you also think, actually, this is my purpose and this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it. And I'm not yes. actually going to people please around all these other things and that that's don't the, matter.
1: that's the loving part towards self, right? It's more loving of self. And then the other part is that you want to, I do anyway, want to walk more into the world and be more of service to others. Like, that's more important to me now than like, I don't know, something about when you're younger, you're kind of like... Self involved.
0: Yeah, and it's also I think it's also just I feel like these phases of life are recognizable by everyone. Mm-hmm. You've got more you're on the running up the hill when you're a kid. Yeah. Trying to get all the first and do all the things and prove you can and learn. Yeah. And something happens when you get I think it is the getting of wisdom. I think there's something good. You do get wrinkles. You get I think whatever. You become more understanding. <laughs> you get too. wrinkles but also wisdom. And yes. more yeah, maybe you do become more understanding. I do. Yeah,
1: I I feel like I've become way more understanding and less, I catch myself in judgment. I mean, you know, it's a human, human thing to judge, but I catch myself in judgment now, but being able to contemplate, is that my ego or is that my fear? You know, is that really about them or is that just being some sort of you know, negative part of myself Mm. and trying and looking for the ways to be compassionate and see someone and hear someone for them and their experience. And that, I think, has been a huge shift in my 40s because it opens you up so much more to being generous with people. People need purpose to live. We need it, you know. We're like, even people need purpose at work. Or in their family. I mean, we need purpose in life. Mm. And definitely, I believe when you have a cause that is this bigger than you, it gives you more meaning in your life and reason to get up and keep
0: going and fighting. Seriously, who needs Oprah? You got us. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about what role fashion can have in influencing public opinion and spreading awareness, but let's talk a bit about what models can do in particular, because they have a very specific platform nowadays, don't Mm -hmm. they?
1: When you have 20 million, 35 million, 55 million followers, you have an enormous platform, an enormous amount of power.
0: Is it a responsibility?
1: I mean, in my opinion, it is a responsibility, but it's hard to say that to somebody else.
0: But from, okay, personally, do you feel a weight of responsibility? Personally,
1: I feel a weight of responsibility on the content that I share. I cannot say to someone else that they should. I hope that they would use their power wisely. That would be my hope for them. The other thing is, with that enormous power, having 35 million followers, and you get to do these collaborations with designers, these capsule collections, or these so-and-so times so-and-so, it would be really awesome if people would do something sustainable. Instead I'm surprised
0: of, it because it's just a, you you're do. doing
1: a capsule collection. It's not like you're designing everything for the next, you know, 10 years. It's You're doing something for like two seasons and it's like, what, 10 pieces? So I think that is something I'm going to try. When I see, you know, the next big one come down the road, I would like to sit down and talk to some of those girls and be like, if you're going to do this, why don't you demand this? Because they want you, you know?
0: They need you
1: more than you need them. You have 25 million followers. They have 500,000 maybe. I think the problem is going back to what we were talking about before is that perfectionistic paralysis. That most of these people feel they're going to get attacked because maybe
0: they weren't eco-friendly before. And they are going to get attacked. Let's not even say that this is not a thing or suggest that this is not a thing because it but is. But it takes courage. It takes
1: courage. And it takes fortitude. And it takes belief that what you're doing is right. And and if they don't truly believe in it, then it will be hard to get someone like that to shift. Mm. But maybe there's somebody who's going to be able to be
0: convinced well, the, take a risk. The noise. I mean, the more noise that we get, the more people talking about this space. Sometimes I feel like there's so much noise, it's hard to cut through. But that's actually a good thing. If sustainability is a buzzword, that's a good thing. What's next for you, and how do you plan to use your great power and responsibility? A letter? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put on my green
1: cape. Um, I am working on producing this short film called "The Changing Room," that we hope will educate consumers and brands alike about the problems that we're facing in fashion and climate crisis, but what we can do about it. Hopefully we will get a couple massive influencers to be in it and they will help spread the message wide.
0: I just sat up with a great idea. You did? Mate, ask JLo. Yeah. Come on. I I could. I mean, I know. I do know
1: her. (laughs) You know, I got to think about that. I got to think about that. But, um... And then also, perhaps, we've talked about doing a podcast that's connected to the changing room. So it's really about, for me, one of the things I know clearly is that I need to speak about it more. And I need to be more outspoken. I need to speak about it, and I need to be more outspoken about how fashion needs to change for the better. And how we have a responsibility in the industry to prove that we can be a better business, that we can be a more modern industry, that we can be a real 21st century industry, because we have so much power, so much influence on culture, that we can make a massive shift in the planet. We are definitely an antiquated industry, and to really be 21st century, we need to completely modernize our supply chain. and. We all need to work together to do it and it's going to take collaboration and it's going to take people open sourcing and it's going to take truth telling from the media to the people that care, that are passionate, um, the influencers and also the brands. People are going to have to come out of their comfort zone. It's more important, I think, to save ourselves than to look good or to make you know, more money.
0: I mean, what's the
1: bottom line? Is the bottom line to continue to live and thrive? Or is the bottom line to make money and
0: die? I don't know. God, I do. I mean, it's like the (laughs) the classic um, protest sign of there is no fashion on a dead planet. I think someone at Nike actually said that. But I mean, it seems so trite. But actually, if you think about that phrase, absolutely. But I think one thing I do want to say to your listeners is that there's
1: a lot of people who just don't know there's a problem. And that's why... You can't even be mad sometimes at people because there could be just a woman who's trying to go to work and feed her kids, you know, that's like has no choice or the woman that or the man that is trying to provide for his family and they don't have enough to go shopping in some fancy store where or buy sustainable stuff because they're it's more expensive. So they have they're obliged to go to somewhere that's cheap and disposable, not really disposable, but in their minds, disposable. Or you have an influencer who isn't reading that information about climate change. They don't read the newspaper or they're not... I mean, I don't know how you couldn't see it or take it seriously today, but maybe they don't understand how they could be affecting it positively because maybe they feel like they don't do enough in their daily life or whatever it is. So I just think that there's a lot of people who just don't understand and a lot of people don't believe... They don't even know that clothing is one of you know that the fashion industry is one of the dirtiest industries on our planet
0: so what do you think it takes to shift this
1: i mean we just have to get really loud right and do more like i said more visual more content more everything of what we're already doing what do you think i mean yes ideally we need somebody like a j-lo or kim kardashian to to just do it once (laughs)
0: I vacillate between two things. My main line on this, and something I try very hard to stick to even when it feels like it isn't coming naturally, is just keep positive because yes. I firmly believe that ranting and shouting at people, which is something I want to do quite often, doesn't actually work. work. No, not. So I try not have to do it. I try to do that in private. Yeah, you come try to from just kindness. shut my mouth when I'm feeling very negative, particularly around, for example, the Australian government. Mm-hmm. Because people are inspired by possibility, hope, yes. opportunity, and fun because they want to come along with you because it's fun. Mm-hmm. They don't want to sit with the chatty woman in the corner whinging. No, the problem is is that we're talking about something that's not so fun. I know. And then there's also a problem with that because part of my existential crisis around this is should we even be trying to make this fun? I mean, the podcast I recently did last series with Extinction Rebellion, I think will have raised a lot of people's questions and fears because. They are so direct in what they're saying we're facing and then are saying absolutely no fun here, nope. <laughs> Death. <laughs> what are you doing about it? But to me I still feel like that is not the way to encourage mass uptake of activism on behalf of the planet. It has to come from love togetherness. All those words are with bit. You. I'm not very good as an English person with those words.
1: I agree with you. I think But that it is come together. That. I think there's life is hard, no matter what. Really, if you just take away all the like extra stuff, work, fashion, entertainment, all the extra stuff, and you just break down life very simply mm-hmm. to people are born, you love people, you fall in and out of love, you break up, you lose your mother, you lose your father, you move away, you lose friends, you, you find friends, you get sick, all of those things, those are all natural human experiences, which we would have with or without the world that we live in and that in itself is hard the human heart feels so much and it's hard to be a human but it's so much better to come from a place of love and that's why i think we have to come from positivity like you said because no one is going to want to join the ride if it's doom and gloom 24 7 life is already freaking hard <laughs> On the most basic level. What did the Buddhists say? That life is suffering? Mm -hmm. It is. And they were saying that like thousands of years ago. Before the internet and before fashion. Before anybody broke the internet. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So if we look at it at such a basic level, if we don't come at it from some place of some sort of kindness and love and compassion, there is just no way we're going to make any change, I don't think. So how can we get there? You know, that's what I want to be a part of is is that change. I don't know any other way through it except to do it creatively.
0: All right, let's finish with one call to arms. Mine is going to be start where you are and start today. So Mm. if you're listening to this and you're thinking... I want to hang out with them because they're so filled with positivity and she knows Donatella. (laughs) Start today. Find your crew, find your community, get involved with whatever it is that is the cause that is most dear to your heart. It could be something really simple like fighting fashion waste. It could be something massive like climate change, but just start today with one little step. What's yours? No pressure. No pressure. That was well (laughs) said. Um, More than anything,
1: I think it's just slow down, be conscientious and think about it. Do I need this? Do I really need this?
0: We really need you, Amber Valletta. Oh. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I want to give you a round of applause.
1: Oh, it's getting hard. My parents feel that it's-
0: Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. To learn more about our guests and the issues that we've spoken about today, hop on over to my website, which is clairepress.com forward slash podcast. You can get in touch there, and I really hope you will. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to my social media. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. You know what they say, first in, best dressed. Subscribers are first to find out when there's a new episode, and it also helps other people discover Wardrobe Crisis, so I'd love your help with that. Because the more people who switch on to ethical fashion, the better. Music is by Montaigne. She recorded this special acoustic version of Because I Love You, which is from her Glorious Heights album, especially for Wardrobe Crisis. How good is that? Thank you, Montaigne. Because I love you, my fans feel